We're uh, continuing in a uh, summer short series on Genesis, looking at the basics of Christian living. What are the basic designs of man and woman to live following Christ, but to live under God's design? And we're looking at Genesis, the first number of chapters of Genesis, to see the basic blueprint. The, the guidelines. And we call it a summer short because the messages are more focused, more intentional. And so there'll be a number of things that we won't cover this morning that will leave you wanting for further investigation. So the focus this morning is on God's design, His, His design for designing man and woman for a relationship and his design of marriage to meet the desire and the need that we have for not only a relationship, but for an intimacy of relationship, an intimate companion. An intimate companion that we might say will be a constant companion. Someone that will be there for when we awake and somebody that will be there for when we labor and someone that will be there when we go to bed at night, but they will be designed to meet our need for a companion. Now, this morning, I want you to think about the hunger or the need or the desire that you have for a constant companion for a constant companion that you could be vulnerable to, that you could be intimate with, and not only that you would allow yourself to be completely known to this constant companion, but they themselves would reveal themselves to you. But there's a problem. The problem that lurks behind the scenes is that while we want for such a relationship of intimacy, of such constancy with a companion that would last, our cynical side says that it won't last. This morning, as I was uh, leaving the house, I was... I was looking around in my, on my bedroom walls to try to find a, a photograph. I knew that we had some framed of my and Wendy's wedding day, some 32, next month will be 32 years ago. And I didn't see one in our bedroom. I saw some framed birds, and I saw some other pictures that were framed. found this one in the closet. And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, the thrill is gone. The romance is gone. No longer does this hang up in my bedroom, the, 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 you know, the sanctuary of, of love and romance. Man, it's relegated to a closet. I had to wipe the dust off this thing. Wendy said, no. She said, the thrill might have dimmed a little bit, but it's, it's still there. But I think that's our fear. I think that's our fear whether you are married or not that I have a desire for an intimate, thrilling, 
passionate relationship with a, a constant companion. But will it last? My parents' marriage did not last. My friends' marriage did not last. Or my neighbor's marriage is just a sham. Oh, on the outside, it looks like they're happy, happy, but inside that home, they're cold as ice to each other. Or this marriage over here is a fake, it's totally a fake. Oh, they, they look all lovey-dovey and they look like they're, they're just in passionate love with one another and that they're committed to one another, but they, haven't, they have a total lack of transparency. Or they have secret agent lives. They're one thing in the home and in their relationship. When they're around one another, they're something else with others. They cannot be labeled a constant companion, though it might have started out that way. Well, we're going to look this morning in the time that remains, and I want you to see, and looking at God's Word, that He gives us encouragement. He gives us hope for a relationship that we were made for, that we can we can. We can allow ourselves, apart from our cynical attitude, that it won't last. That we can once again allow ourselves to dream that the need and the desire I have for an intimate, constant companion can be met. So without further ado, if you'll look at the Scriptures, we find that here in the Scriptures, that God comes into the garden. Now remember, He has already rested at His creation. And in verse 15, which is not printed in your program, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. But then in verse 18, there's Adam in paradise. There is Adam in Eden. And God issues a malediction. He issues the opposite of a benediction. A benediction is what we do at the end of the service where God blesses us through an ordained minister. He is, it's not my blessing, but it's God's blessing upon His people. But here, He's saying, I, I can't bless it yet. I can't, I can't, it's not good. It is not good. Now, be mindful that God is not saying, oops, I messed up. I don't know, I was a fan of Gary Larson's Far Side for many, many years. And one of his single panel uh, comics that stands out to me is what we envision, you know, a lot of people envision God to look like. You know, big man, big flowing robe, long flowing hair, big beard. Well, he's got oven mitts. God, the God figure, and he's pulling out of the oven uh, a baking dish, and it's got the earth in it. You see the continents and everything, and it's a little smoky. And as he pulls it out of the oven with his oven mints, he, he comments to himself, he says, I've just got a sneaky suspicion that this thing is half-baked. God's not doing that here. He's not saying, wow, something's wrong, I've missed something. God is not at fault. 
what he's doing is he's drawing our attention to say, it's not complete, I'm not done yet. Man is not simply a working creature for the garden. Man does not simply have physical needs that I will feed him from the garden, but man has a relational need, and that's what's not good. As he says there in verse 18, what is not good is it's not good that man should be alone. Now, before I leave this, not good. Can you think with me for just a moment what that means for God to say that it's not good? About paradise. Think about paradise. Think about the food that Adam had in paradise. Well, we could think about it, but we have nothing to compare it to. What about the beauty? The beauty that he saw in paradise. No blemishes. No, no rot. Think about his power that he had in paradise. Martin Luther writes about the, the power of man and over the, to dominate the garden that he could tell a lion to sit and it would sit like a tamed lion. That he could pick up a rock without flexing his muscle. That he would be so wise that he could know the theory of relativity before he drank his morning coffee. I mean, it's just like he is just so wise, so powerful, so strong in paradise. And yet God looks and says, not yet. That's not enough. It's not complete. Think about his spiritual life. Adam had spiritual, this is prior to his rebellion against God. So he had an intimate relationship with God. His prayer life. His conversations with God. His walking with God. It's what R.C. Sproul would say that we are destined one day by being made new and redeemed in Jesus Christ to find and experience in the new heavens and the new earth. Without exception, without barrier. One day we'll walk with God again. Adam had that already. Where am I going? It says, if God is saying, though you and I, Adam, are intimate companions, spiritually, we are intimate companions, and you are one with all of your work and with all of the world, that that is not good enough. That there is still something that you need that I cannot give you in and of myself alone. Think about it. He's saying that by the very way that I designed you for community and relationships in my image, and I have the fellowship of the Trinity, that just me and you, Adam, are not even enough. I made you for an intimate relationship with other human beings as well. And so here, God looks at Adam and he says that it's not good. And we find that in verse 20, that Adam proceeds to fulfill what we looked at last week, his calling, his finding purpose in his job and in his work, representing God in his domain, he proceeds in verse 20 to name all the animals. 
And the scripture says, but uh, he gave, the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heaven, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. In other words, Adam's need for a relationship, Adam's need for intimacy, Adam's need for a constant companion by his side was not being met. And it was his need that showed up out of his want. In other words, we can see him. And we've heard others um, even make jokes about Adam looking at the bear and saying, no, too hairy. You know, looking at other animals and, and saying, no, that's not it. And no, that's not it. I don't believe that Adam was looking at any of the animals to find a suitable mate. But as he looked at the animals, he could look and he'd say, they have like mates to them. But there is nothing like me in the animals. I'm alone. I'm one. And I need someone. And I want someone. And that was awakened as he began to look in, I will call it, his ministry in the garden? Or he looked in his work and his employment? Or he looked in his hobbies and his enjoyment? He looked in all of those things, and he said, those things are good, but they're not enough. And I can't find out of work and hobbies, I can't find out of other enjoyments, I can't find out of ministry even, what I really need. In other words, I'm looking at all these things and I'm saying, no, no, no. And God wants him to do that. He wants him to do that inventory so that that need for a relationship is brought forward to the surface even out of his growing want for one. And then we see God answers that need. We see that God comes and in verse 22, God builds a woman. Now you may say if you've got the ESV, it says, well, there it says that God took from the man a rib and he made it into a woman. But if you follow your footnote down, it says that he built, that's the word for built a woman. And I like that even more. You know, sometimes I, I think about how God did creation and I, I kind of think about God coming into a formless and void world, and then he says, okay, light, boo, and it's all over there. And then he says, okay, land, and he just says it, and then it just happens. Looking at Proverbs 8 tells me, and we did this last week, but looking at Proverbs 8 tells me that there's more to it than that. There is God hands-on like a craftsman making his creation. And so when you think of the, the word here for built, it's like building a nuclear weapon. And some of us are married to mates that we can say, yeah, that's, that kind of taps into the mystery and the power in my mate. But it's, it's like he specifically designed and crafted and built a woman. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the appearance of the first woman 
Can you imagine how she appeared? Specifically built for God? By God? Now, imagine this, okay? So Adam wakes up. It says that he put him into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's rib. Now, remember, he took Adam from dirt, okay? But women, you're made from flesh. Um, I think that's why snips and snails and puppy dog tails, that's what little boys are made out of. You know, we still kind of gravitate toward the dirt, and you guys gravitate more toward beauty, uh, but uh, meaning females. But here's Adam, and he's kind of waking up. He's going, oh, man. That was a deep sleep. Man, I didn't, I didn't need any help sleeping. I was just, I must have been really, really tired. And Whoa, something's, something's missing. This is kind of funny. And then God speaks to Adam. Adam, uh, your job's not quite done. Oh, really? I thought I named all the animals. Yes, Adam, but there's a creature there's a creature by my unique artistic design that you haven't named yet. Oh, really? Well, I guess I better get to it. Well, look over here, Adam. And he raises his eyes and he sees Eve, not in a wedding dress, but naked, totally exposed. Totally without any fig leaf at this point, without any cloth or without any veil. Totally unclothed before him. Designed by God. And in Adam's eyes and by God's design without a blemish. Without anything that we would judge to be a distraction or imperfection. And what does Adam do but he sings? It's as if he could borrow from Etta James. At last, my love has come along. My lonely days are over. And life is like a song. I found a dream that I could speak to. A dream that I can call my own. I found a thrill to press my cheek to. A thrill that I have never known. You smiled, you smiled. Oh, and then the spell was cast. And here we are in heaven, for you are mine at last. I'll tell you, that, hearing that, that's a very popular song for the first dance of the newlywed bride and groom at their wedding reception. When they invite them to their first dance, that is a very, very popular song that always moves me. Adam was moved when he beheld Eve. He said, at last. He said, this is it. He said, I'm complete. As God looked at man and his relational need, he said, that's not good. It's not completed yet. He answers it by providing before him a constant companion that he can be intimate with. And Adam's soul, his heart, recognizes now the fulfillment of that need by saying, that is it at last. Now, 
Moses will go on at the end of this song of Adam and offer his commentary. Moses who wrote the book of Genesis. And he offers a commentary in verse 24 and says, this is the reason that a man will leave his father and his mother and he will cleave. That means so close, bonded so close that it's inseparable. It's used elsewhere. It's like the bond of your skin to your body. Your, your skin cleaves to your body. And he said, this, this woman now named by Adam is the helpmate, is the helper fit for Adam. She is the one that he needs. And it's why he'll have a different relationship with her than he will have with her, his parents or he could possibly have even with children or siblings. Family, he can't have that intimate a relationship because it's in this relationship that they will cling together so constantly, so intimately that those two will become one. Wendy and I believe that with all of our hearts. That's why when we got married, we wanted to symbolize that in the wedding service by the lighting of a candle. She would take her candle, I would take my candle, we would light the cinder candle, and we would say, it's going to take three in this marriage. And you're going to, you're going to change, and I'm going to change, and that by God's design. And we're going to become something that is not two people living in a marriage or not two people in an intimate relationship, but one. And after 32 years, it's almost like a cosmic Spock, Star Trek mind meld at times. I, can, I, I find myself thinking what Wendy would think. Not because I control her thinking, but because over the years she's become a helper to me that is fit. Like a, the word fit means it's a corresponding piece. It's like puzzle pieces. She's not the same as me, nor am I the same of her, but put together we complement one another and we form one cohesive whole. That's what God was doing, and that was God's answer. And he's saying, I have crafted and built her just for you, with you in mind. Now, before I leave this, can I tell you two real quick implications? One, if you're married, and one if you're not. Number one, if you're married, what would it be like to look at your mate and say two things? Number one, it is no accident by God that you are in my life. That just like bringing Eve to Adam, God brought you into my life. Am I going to blame you or am I going to praise you? Some of us need to work through that. But to look and to say, God brought you into my life. And then number two, to look and to be able to say at last, you really are what I need. 
and I am so selfish, and I am so sinful, and I am so hedonistic at heart, I don't even, I'm not willing to make the sacrifices for really what I need as I'm pursuing what I want. The word helper, incidentally, is a military term. It's the army that arrives on the scene when another army is in distress or when soldiers are in distress. When they are being hard-pressed by the enemy, they need a helper army to come in. Well, when that helper army comes in, I mean, this is military language, folks. God's going to, what would it mean to see my mate as one that there may be conflict? There may be iron sharpening iron. There may be sparks. But it's exactly what I need to help me to be the man or the woman that God wants me to be. What if marriage is God's tool, not for your happiness, but for your holiness? Let me say it again in a different way. What if marriage, what if God brought that person into your life, not simply for fun, but for your faith? What if? How can you now look at that woman and not say, at last, once you've worked through those two things, God brought this person into my life, God knows exactly what I need, and therefore He built this person for me. And then there's also an implication for those that are unmarried. Again, this sermon wants for many things. There's, we could take, we're at the end of our time now, but we could, we could take and we could address divorce, we could address singleness, and we're not going to be able to do so. But 1 Corinthians 9 teaches us from Paul, who writes as a single man, who is a, a minister of Christianity, which is founded by a single founder. Jesus Christ was single. And he honors singles by saying, if you are not called into the intimacy of relationship, of marriage then you are most blessed if you are not called. That you will find God to provide for your relational needs of intimacy and constant companion in the very Lord Himself that you serve. But if you are unmarried and you feel the call to marry, would you consider looking as you begin to pray and you say, Lord, who is it? What's the profile? How will I recognize them when they come? Look for one that is God-built and not man-built. I almost missed Wendy. Almost missed her. And the reason was is I had a circle of friends that were my constant companions. And Wendy was in that. And Wendy would say, she would say, well, how's it going? Are you dating anybody now? Yeah, I'm dating somebody right now, but I keep looking because I don't think they're the right one. And out there somewhere is the right one, and I'm going to find them pretty soon. Hey, oh, oh, yeah, I'm getting ready to go to seminary. Yeah, oh, you're going to pray for me? Oh, well, that's, that's pretty cool. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, can I tell you who I'm dating now? Oh, we did this, we did this, and this. Yeah, 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 it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm going to find the right one out there. 
And God's short story got to a point with me where it was like, you know what? I have been looking right there in front of me. I have been looking over the one that you have built, you have designed, that is your answer for not good, Phil. That's the answer right there. And at last, at last I see it. Thank you for showing me someone of your build because I was building a dream woman that does not exist. Well, we find that the key for such relationships is found in verse 25. It tells us there that the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The key, the key that will unlock the problem, a marriage that starts romantically, even seeing that God has brought the two together to meet a relational need for those that are called to be married, for those that are not called to be married, He will meet that relational need through community, close and intimate friendships. But the key, the key that is going to solve the problem so that for those of us in marriage that say, at last, and we want it to last, and may fear that it won't last, the key is in verse 25. The key is to be able to be unashamed in our love relationship with one another. The world looks at us and it says, you're going to know shame if you try to practice the two things of being completely transparent, completely naked, completely known, completely exposed, and then ask people to love you. You will know shame. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, modeled by Jesus Christ when he says, I am the bridegroom and you are the bride. The gospel is that you can be completely vulnerable, completely transparent, and still be loved. The key that was lost in the garden is now found in Jesus Christ. I won't take the time to read it now, but for those of you that like to do further study, there's two good references. Number one is The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. If uh, I just got a phone call day before yesterday about a couple who are going to be wed, and we were talking about premarital counseling, and I said, I only have one requirement, that we read this book together, The Meaning of Marriage. But number two is The Freedom of the Christian by Martin Luther. The Freedom of the Christian by Martin Luther was an article, a long letter that he wrote during the process that the Catholic Church during the period of the Reformation was excommunicating. They were 
they were moving toward trial to excommunicate the monk Martin Luther. And Pope Leo X sat on the throne. And Martin Luther wrote the freedom of the Christian to Pope Leo. Now, he has previously called the Pope the Antichrist. But this letter is not scathing or condemning. This letter is beautiful. Because he says the, the, Christ, the freedoms of the Christian are like the church or the one who is a Christian now wed to Christ as the bridegroom. Christ comes and He takes on all of our sin and He clothes us with Himself. And as the groom, He pays the price for us. And now we are completely free. How do we get that? He says we take the wedding band of faith and we wear it. In other words, Christ says, believe in my life. Believe in my death on your behalf. Believe in the new life that is offered to you, evidenced by my rising again from the dead. Believe that I am your constant companion. Believe that I am your intimate, never-ending companion. I know you. I know you through and through. And I love you. We wear that like a promise ring. That is demonstrated at this table every Sunday at Two Rivers. I would have you this morning in just a few moments as you're invited to come forward, that you not come to this table solemnly, seriously, but that you come joyfully. That you come to this table like a wedding reception feast. And that you would celebrate again the union that you have that is greater than even marriage, which is an illustration of the union that we have with God through the groom Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we adore your Son who on a cross was totally exposed, totally naked, and totally rejected, totally unloved. But He did that and so satisfied your requirements that now His love covers us. And on the cross, when He said, It is finished, it was His beautiful song to us at last. And He beholds us, those who have come under His love, His cross, His blood covering, as beautiful brides. Father, we thank You for the work of Christ on our behalf, and now we would celebrate it at these tables as we ask that You take the bread and the cup and to use them for a holy purpose, a holy end, and that being our faith in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I want to invite our men to come forward now as they prepare to serve us.